0: Our Father, would you still the restlessness of our busy hearts, that we might come before you, our maker and king. And as we hear you speak now, God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you'd help us to understand ourselves more in light of your word, that we would come before you as creatures before our creator, and that we would open ourselves to you and the things that your word has to say to us in Psalm 32. Uh, please help me now to speak in a way that's faithful and clear for we ask it all in Jesus name. Amen. In Ernest Hemingway's short story The Capital of the World, a Spanish newspaper El Liberal carried this story about a father and his son. A teenage boy named Paco and his very wealthy father had a falling out together. The young man ran away from home and the father was crushed by it. After a few days without any contact from him the father realized that his son was serious. And so he sent out to find him. For five months the father searched everywhere but could not find his son. In a final and desperate attempt to locate him, the father placed this ad in a Madrid newspaper. The ad simply read, Dear Paco, meet me here at meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. I love you. Signed Your Father. It's a sad story, isn't it? A desperate father eager to reconcile with his estranged and loved son. What makes this story even sadder is the response that the father got to his newspaper ad in Madrid on Tuesday at noon, and inside the foyer of the Hotel Montana, 800 estranged parkos showed up, (laughs) looking for love and forgiveness from their fathers. We're in our summer teaching series on the Psalms called Summer Psalms, and this morning we're in Psalm 32, and the father's declaration to all of his distant children now reads this way. All is forgiven. I love you. Let's see it with me, won't you? Psalm 32 verse 1. You've got your Bible there. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32 is an invitation for us to come home. Forgiveness is the road to healing. And it's the journey of a lifetime, the pathway that all Christ followers must walk So far, if you've been with us, we've looked at the two introductory psalms at the beginning of the book of psalms. Psalm 1 introduced us to the book's purpose. Psalm 2 introduces us to the book's plot. Psalm 1 traces a path through life. Psalm 2 describes the journey that this path takes. Psalm 2 also introduces us to the theme of the entire book of the psalms, which is the universal reign of the Lord and his king. But it's hard to think about the Psalms as having a plot, isn't it? Usually a collection of poetry or songs doesn't have an unfolding storyline to them. But when we step back from all of the details and stop searching for hidden meanings, we begin to see the bigger picture. There is a patchwork to the Psalms that isn't random. As a whole, the first half of the Psalms are mostly written as laments. Laments are for dark times. They are for life's sudden crises and constant sorrows. The second half of the book of Psalms are are mostly songs about thanks and praise. Thanksgiving is for times of transition, the journey from darkness towards light, the movement from sorrow towards joy. Praise is for bright times, the moments of joy, the long seasons of blessing. But alongside this movement within the Psalms, from lament to thanksgiving to praise is also the movement throughout Israel's history, spanning from David through to the return of the exiles. Books one and two of the Psalms, Psalms one to 72, are all about the life and times of King David. David is either named in the title or the Psalm refers to an event within David's life. Book three of the Psalms, Psalms 73 to 89, are all about Israel's divided kingdom, a 350-year period between Solomon and the exile. It is the low point of the book of Psalms as a whole. All but five of the Psalms here are laments over Israel's failure and that of her kings. Book four, Psalms 90 to 106, are a reflection of the 70-year period of the exile. After realising that the Lord reigns over the nations, things actually start turning around in book four. Book four ends with a prayer. Psalm 106, verse 47 says this, Save us, o, o Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. That's how book four ends. Book five opens with an answered prayer, Psalm 107, verse one. O give thanks to the Lord for his good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the land. and so now back to Psalm 32 which is a psalm of David from book 1 and the psalm itself 32 divides into two parts firstly David makes a very bold claim there in verses 1 and 2 and then shares his own backstory with us in verses 3 to 7 and the second part of the psalm David uses it all to convince us to come and join him on the path to restoration and healing in verses 8 to 11 See it with me now, will not you? Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For the first time since Psalms 1 and Psalm 2, David uses the word blessed. Blessed is the man. And the picture here is one of Happiness. For David, happiness began when he was forgiven, healed from the pain of his regret and his remorse, the feeling of feeling terrible about the things that he's done, the pain of feeling terrible about the things that he can't undo. You know, the hurtful words that can't be retracted, the careless actions that destroy relationships, the selfish decisions that negatively impact upon others. But why would David need healing? Why would David need forgiveness? What's David done wrong? Well, David, who wrote these first two verses, speaking of the benefits of forgiveness for us, of sins being covered, of deceit being removed, is the very same King David who lusted after the wife of another man who also committed adultery with her and then had her husband murdered. Now, you mightn't have done any of these things. <laughs> Maybe you have. But only those who know they've done wrong and who are prepared to own their own mistakes, who are willing to expose their own failings and ready to admit their weaknesses and faults, can ever know or ever get to the experience the blessing of God's pardon, forgiveness and healing. When it comes to using the word sin, some people have sensitive allergies towards it these days. But sin is just the word that the Bible uses to name the felt human condition that is agreed upon by everyone. Ancient, modern, eastern, western, secular or religious, all agree that there is something deeply wrong and off in the human heart. And in verses 1 and 2, David uses three words for us to describe sin. Can you see them there? Transgression sin and iniquity they're not the same all three describe different types of crime and poetic dave here has hit the trifecta on all of them you see there's sin that's done by us and then there's the sin that's done to us and then there's the sin that's done around us and david's been involved in all of them and so have i And solve you. Again, maybe not all on the same afternoon. But again, maybe you have. But all of us have sinned against God. All of us have sinned against ourselves. All of us have sinned against others. All of us sinned against by others. Our hearts, desires and our own actions have separately violated against, even teamed up and joined forces against God's good plans for our relationships with him and with others. But now David's been forgiven by God. He knows the burden has been lifted from him. The burden he's been carried is taken away. The transgressions of his have been forgiven. His sins have been covered. David's crime, along with its terrible consequences before God, have now been lifted from his shoulders. The behaviour that disgusts God is now covered and removed from God's sight. Any such record of it ever having taken place has been permanently deleted. It's not that somehow our sin is undone, but it's now that God makes us new. We don't do this. God does it for us. God no longer counting our sins against us. Forgiveness like this, friends, it changes our very identity. This is who we are now. Do you see unburdened, unashamed, and free to start living. According to David in verse 2, blessed the blessed are also marked by a quality of their own now. The person God forgives is no longer deceitful. It's not so much that God takes away our deceitfulness from us. More likely, the blessing of forgiveness comes upon those who've given up all pretenses. You see, the problem with our deception is The problem with keeping up appearances and pretending. The problem of playing happy families and of giving false impressions and of saying everything's fine when it's not is that deceit lies and hypocrisy means real forgiveness is never truly possible. David now speaks from his own personal experience. Look there, verse three. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning. All day long, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The power of our deception is toxic. Deception and secrecy deform us. They deform us. Just take a look at David, won't you? His bones wasting away. He groans out in anguish. Heat and humidity are evaporating his strength a little bit like today. David's continued silence and refusal to, refusal to say out loud what he knows about himself now to be true only compounds the intensity of his own suffering. God now squeezing the life out of Israel's king, God squeezing David to make a confession. But you and I, we, we know every trick in the book, don't we? We actively resist facing up or owning up to our own reality. Psychologists categorise it under headings like denial and repression and displacement and projection and rationalisation. And in so many evangelical churches today, sin has been reduced to simply being viewed as either guilt or innocence. What theologians call forensic or the legal view of sin. And while that's certainly a biblical view of sin, it's not the only category the Bible has for sin. Honour and shame, power and fear clean and defiled, lost and found, peace and chaos, hope and despair. The hand of God now heavily weighing upon David, holding it all of inside him now, it's just eating away at him. David can no longer live with what he's done, the people that he's hurt, the person that he's become, the hypocrisy of his own leadership. At first sight, we rarely see sin for what it truly is. But friends, sin is ill and it is deforming. But confession, confession is transforming. Look there, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession is the acknowledgement of our sin. Confession is what makes forgiveness accessible to us. We must make known to God the things that God already knows about us. At the start of Psalm 32, David says, blessed is the one whose sin is covered, but before our sins can be covered by God, we must uncover them to him. David's now reusing all the same words there from verse one and two, sin, iniquity, and transgression. This isn't a charade. It is an act of surrender. Our sins must be spoken, not held back from God in silence. Of course, God knows about them already, but we must tell them to him anyway. Confession isn't about beating yourself up in front of others, but naming our wounds and our wickedness. And confession takes place, it happens, in the presence of a loving God And within a loving community, walking towards wholeness. Confession isn't just about our sin, friends. Confession is also about all that's true of us. Who we are in Christ. Who we are, who Christ is, who we are in Christ, who we're now becoming. Confession brings us out of hiding and into the acceptance of a loving God and his loving community. When we confess, we get to leave behind all of our guilt and our fear and our shame and our chaos and despair. Until we name our sins out loud before God, until we open up our wounds before him, we can't be healed from them. The more we hide, the less we heal. David's confession moves him from death to life. He journeys from lament to thanksgiving. God's heavy hand now lifted from him, along with the crushing burdens of guilt and condemnation. David stops dying and becomes a new person, no longer defined by his sin, but defined by its removal. It's such a simple thing to do, isn't it? Break your silence. But such a difficult thing for us to do. Surrender. The secrecy and the silence of our sin, it deforms us. But confession of our sin transforms us. And now David wants us to be transformed with him. Look there, verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. David becomes an evangelist. And he invites us to come and to join him. The joy of having our sins now forgiven, the hope and the peace of all things being made new. David calls on the godly to pray. Can you see that? Because that's what godly people do, isn't it? They pray in dependence and reliance upon God. They surrender themselves and their lives to God's lordship. If you don't rely on God, you don't pray. And if you don't pray... You don't rely on God. So why delay it any longer? Why put off confessing until some other time? When you know, you know, right? So offer your prayers of confession to God now. Stop trying to keep your head above water. Now is the time for God to be found. Today is the day of salvation. Look there, verse 7. You are a hiding place for me, you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. More than just theology and head knowledge, friends, God is inviting us into deep and personal intimacy with him. you hear these words? You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with redemption songs. Not only protection from the rising tide of our troubles, from the external enemies of sin and death, but also from the internal trials that now plague us. Distress, anxiety, guilt, inner torment. This isn't just an insurance ticket for eternity. Salvation is the restoration of the whole person. Inside and out, God makes us new. In part two, David now moves on again. He's on the move again. And in verse eight, he moves from being teachable to being the teacher. But there's also a movement within the psalm here itself. I wondered if you noticed it from the, the transition from lament to thanksgiving and now to praise. This is the way you should walk, says David. This is the path of blessing. This is the road to healing. Here is how you live the forgiven life. Look there, verse nine. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bitten bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Can you hear what David's saying here to us? Don't be a stubborn ass. Don't be a horse or a mule. Don't be stupid. Stubborn and ignorant beasts only move towards you when you control them, when you hold them by the reins, or when you kick them in the ribs. But God's not into conversively controlling his creation now, is he? So David's saying, Come closer, move near, lean in now, because many are the sorrows of the wicked, and they are sorrows that only God's forgiveness can relieve. Which is why those who trust in God can now rejoice. Look there, verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Rejoice and praise. That's how we live the forgiven life. Here's David's final instructions. Rejoice and be glad. Because God's steadfast, unchanging, everlasting... Covenant love and mercy surround those who trust him. Shout for joy because of what God has done for you and let it overflow into a life of thanksgiving and praise. Why? Because no great rushing waters are left to harm you. No sorrow left now to deform you. No attack can be so devastating, no loss so severe, no moment so hopeless that it can ever take away the greatest treasure and the gift that you've ever received and now possess, which is you're forgiven. But forgiveness only comes after death. New life only comes after death. And David, he experienced the death of sorts, didn't he? David ruled as king over God's people, his bones wasting away, groaning all day. You remember? The heavy hand of the Lord God upon him. But as king, David also represented God's people. David speaks God's word to God's people, Israel, and David speaks the people's words to God. In Psalm 32, David confesses his own sins, but he's also confessing the sins on behalf of the people of Israel. Israel. A prayer that Israel so desperately needed. A prayer that Israel stubbornly refused to pray. Jesus is also God's representative, not only for Israel, friends, but now for the whole world. But unlike David, Jesus wasn't guilty of any sin. He was baptised for sins that he never committed. He led his disciples in prayer, forgive us our sins, but was only ever asking on our behalf. He died condemned for the sins of the world, but for the sins that he never did. And upon the cross of his own condemnation and death, Jesus felt the heavy hand of God now upon him, suffering the pain of our stubborn silence, God crushing him in death as he bore our sins for us. Confessing our sins before God on the cross, Jesus is our representative in death to sin. Because Jesus is perfect obedience in death, he was lifted up by God, by God's powerful word, a word so powerful that it can raise us up also. And when it's spoken to us, says, you're forgiven. The pathway through life on offer in the Psalms is the rhythm of confession, of thanks, of forgiveness, and of thankfulness. Let me say it again. The pathway through life on offer in the Psalms is the rhythm of confession, of forgiveness, and of thankfulness. It is the rhythm and the way of the Christ follower. This is the road to healing for all who want to be blessed. You see, the opposite of wickedness, friends, isn't goodness. It's trust. And the way of the faithful and the blessed is to pray for forgiveness from the one who forgives our sins. In Christ, God's act of forgiveness on the cross is not only life-changing and world-changing, but it's world-spanning power of forgiveness from the cross of Christ reaches out to everyone at every point in every place at every time only God calls us to forgiveness in him and once God calls you into forgiveness with him once we've received forgiveness from Christ whenever we become aware of our own sin we exercise our trust by asking him for forgiveness Confession causes us to face up to reality. Not only of what we've done, not only of who we are, but of who we are and who we're becoming in Christ. Confession is the only antidote to our pride and our hypocrisy and our stubbornness and our self-deception. Friends, God's forgiveness is the road to healing, of being made whole. And God's now inviting you to come home. All is forgiven. Will you pray with me? And that's why it's called good news. Now, Father, we want to thank you for the good news of the gospel, the good news that we can be forgiven, that our sins forgiven, our transgressions and iniquities covered, not because of us, not because of our own efforts, but because of the Lord Jesus who represented us in death on the cross for our sins before you. Would you help us, Lord, this morning to come clean? to confess, to confess the things in our lives that we've been holding on to and being kept secret. Would you help us to confess these things so that we might be free, that we might know the release of your heavy hand upon us, that we might know the joy of no longer feeling guilty or ashamed or burdened or condemned or unloved. And would you help us, Father, to be a loving community, sinners together on the road to healing, so that when we fail, when one of us gets it wrong, there is not condemnation but love and acceptance because that's how you greet us too. Would you help us to be this way? Would you help us to love like you do? For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.